I'm just going to say a couple of little things about Father Gruner before we, we begin. I, all of you know, uh, you know, if you've been around for 30 years like we have, um, you already know Father Gruner, so I'm not going to really go into a lot of depth about him. But what I will say, <clears throat> you've off, if you've seen him on video or you've seen him in person, you've often seen him, seen him weep and he would cry and he would choke up. And everybody wondered, you know, why he, why was he doing that? What, what made him be so emotional? Well, there's such a thing called gift of tears. And this gift has been explained through tradition rather than official documentation in scripture or the catechism. It is defined as a spiritual grace, as an unbidden gift from the Holy Spirit that's bestowed on someone through the healing flow of tears. The fruit of such tears lead both the recipient of this gift and others who witness it to a joy and unabiding peace. This definition supplants the mere notion that the gift of tears includes anyone who cries from a touching spiritual or emotional sentiment. So that kind of explains when you see Father, and you probably will see him weep here in this video, and he will become choked up. Um, as I said earlier today, no one loved Mary more than Father Gruner, and he was extremely emotional with anything to do with Our Lady. So I, I'm not going to say any more about him. I think you all know him from reading. And uh, So let's progress. Are we all set? Okay, let's show the video. The moment has come in which God asked the Holy Father to make in union with all the bishops of the world the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to save it by this means. So numerous are the souls which the justice of God condemns for its sins committed against me that I come to ask for reparation. Sacrifice yourself for this intention and pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. To get the key to the message of Fatima, we have to go to July 13th. 
It was on July 13th the Blessed Virgin opened her hands for the third time and light came from the palms of her hands. And the light fell, not like in May or June, in July the light fell on the ground in front of the children. And the children looked to see where this light went and what did they see when they saw the fires of hell. Lucy tells us that she would have died of fright had not the vision been so very brief and had not Our Lady promised to take them to heaven in May. And then the Virgin spoke and of course she explained what they saw. Now they already understood they were seeing the fires of hell but the Blessed Virgin said, You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. It is in order to save sinners God wills to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. There is the key. In order to save sinners, God wills to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. That is the first part of the secret, the vision of hell and God's will to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart. And that is the key to understanding the whole Fatima message. So God wants to establish, God will establish this devotion. But he has a plan. It's not just a general plan, but he has a specific plan how he's going to do this. And the two requests that follow are part of this plan, the major part of his plan. The first is for the communions of reparation on the first Saturday, and we will talk about that on another talk. And the second part of the plan is the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And this is what... So Our Lady in the second part of the secret then went on to say that this war, meaning the First World War, will soon end. But if mankind does not amend, then another war worse than this will break out in the reign of Pius XI. And if mankind does not amend, the world will be punished by means of war, famine, persecution of the Church, and persecution of the Holy Father. She said to prevent this, to prevent these punishments, and we're still living today under these punishments, to prevent them, to overcome them, if my requests are granted. And I will come back to ask for the communion and reparation and for the consecration of Russia. So she came back on the 13th of June, 1929, to ask for the consecration of Russia. That vision took place in the following way. Lucy, Sister Lucy was in Tui, in the convent of the Dorothean sisters, and she had permission from her superiors to make the holy hour from 11 to midnight on Thursday night, following the message of our, of our Lord to St. Mary, Margaret Mary Alacoque. Our Lord asked for this hour of reparation before the Blessed Sacrament, between 11 and midnight on Thursday night. And so Lucy was in the chapel, and the whole chapel was dark, except for the sanctuary lamp. She was tired. She had been prostrate, praying the prayer the angel had taught her, almost Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I adore thee profoundly, and I offer up to thee the most precious body and blood, soul and divinity of the same Son, Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the blasphemies, the outrages, and the indifferences by which he is offended. And I draw upon the infinite merits of the most sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary 
that you might convert poor sinners. She was praying this prayer and repeating it over and over again while she was prostrate. But since she was tired, she had knelt up and extended her arms in the form of a cross. She must have had her head bowed down because at a certain point she noticed that the whole chapel was lit up. So she raised her head and looked up to see what was going on. And she saw in front of her our Lord on the cross. And over his head was God the Father. And between God the Father and God the Son was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Now she describes it in her memoirs, rather in her other documents. She describes it as a older man to the waist and then a man on the cross and then a dove between them. She uses very, shall we say, uh, clinical language. But she then goes on to say, I was, there was revealed to me mysteries of the Most Holy Trinity, which I'm not permitted to speak about. Reminds me of what St. Paul says, that in his, in his, when he was taken up to the seventh heaven, it's impossible for human language to describe what he experienced. And underneath, then, our Lord is on the cross, and from his side came the host. And underneath the host was a chalice. And there was drops of blood falling from his wounds onto the host, as well as coming from the host, and going into the chalice. And under his left arm were the words, grace and mercy, formed by water-like letters that would flow down over the cross. Grace and mercy. And underneath his right arm, standing on the altar, on a cloud, more exactly on top of the altar, was the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was Our Lady of Fatima, and she held the rosary in one hand and her immaculate heart in the other hand. And it was the Blessed Virgin herself who spoke. This is the most solemn of all Our Lady's appearances, not only at Fatima and the whole Fatima apparitions, but in any apparitions Our Lady has ever had at any time, at least to my knowledge. Here she is in the presence, in the visible presence, so to speak, of the Most Holy Trinity. And she says, the moment has come in which God asks, in which God requests. So this is not, Our Lady said she'd come back to ask for it, but really she is only speaking in the name of God, and she makes it very clear. It is God himself who requests the Pope to consecrate Russia. The words she used were, the moment has come. She didn't say the hour, the day, the week, the moment. Now, the moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father to make and to command all the Catholic bishops of the world to make the consecration of Russia to my immaculate heart. God promises to save Russia by this means. The moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father. So it's a request of God and it's directed to the Holy Father. The Holy Father has to do this consecration, but he can't do it by himself. He must have the bishops join him. So it is a consecration of 
is the bishops of the world. The phrase used is bishops of the world. So already in this one sentence, the Blessed Virgin is distinguishing between Russia and the world. So she is asking for a specific consecration. A consecration can be generic. Certainly we have the consecration of Pope Leo XIII of the world to the Sacred Heart in 1899. And we've had the consecrations of the world by Pope Pius XII and John John Paul II and Paul VI of the consecration. So these consecrations have certainly brought benefits. But in this case, it is a a specific consecration. So we must analyze, first of all, the word consecrate is to set aside for a holy purpose. So when we have the consecration of Russia, it is to set aside Russia specifically, from, distinct from the rest of the world. So if we consecrate the world and don't specify Russia, then we are not really specifically consecrating Russia. We're not distinguishing it from the rest of the world. The moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father to make and in union with the Holy Father, all the bishops to make this consecration. Consecration to whom or to what? Consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Remember now that it is a consecration because God wants to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart. To establish that devotion, he wants the whole world to know it. He wants the whole world to practice devotion to the Immaculate Heart. And to establish that as his will, God will work a miracle which has never before been seen in the history of mankind. Not exactly, except in the case of Mexico, but even that, not the same way. This consecration will bring about the conversion of the whole of Russia to the Catholic faith. When Our Lady appeared at Guadalupe in Mexico in 1531, the Spanish priests and missionaries had been trying for 10 years to convert the indigenous peoples of Mexico with very little success. From 1521 to 1531, they were very good and holy men and they tried very hard, but had very little to show for all their work. But in 1531, on December the 9th and the 12th, Our Lady appeared at Guadalupe. And when she left the impression of her portrait on the tilma, that is the, the outside cloak of these poor Indian, this poor Mexican uh, indigenous person, Juan Diego, the people, when the bishop recognized the miracle of this portrait. He put the portrait itself in a little chapel where the apparitions took place. And as a result of that, the people would come and look at this picture. And as soon as they saw the picture, they asked to be baptized. So many baptisms were performed that in 10 years, the missionaries could do nothing but say Mass in the morning and baptize all day long. And every day the same thing. Our Lady only brought enough for them to baptize in one day. 
And when they went back, others came. And so for 10 years, 9 million baptisms were performed. So that what the missionaries could not accomplish in 10 years, Our Lady accomplished by herself in the next 10 years with the conversion of the whole country. It's interesting that at the same time that the Lutherans and the Protestants had taken out of the church about 9 million people, Our Lady replaced them with 9 million people from Mexico at the same time. But it was Our Lady's work. But she did it over 10 years, not because she couldn't do it faster, but because the priests could not keep up with her. So she only went as fast as they could baptize. But the conversion itself was instantaneous. That is, when the person came before the picture, they instantly wanted baptism. And they had some already infused knowledge of the faith instantaneously also. And so we see that Our Lady can convert, and can convert instantaneously, and can convert a whole nation. But the conversion of Russia will be more dramatic still than the conversion of Mexico, as dramatic as that was. But it cannot take place until the consecration of Russia takes place. God wills to save Russia by this means. And God has dictated that the instrument for the conversion of Russia is the consecration. Without this act, without this instrument, Russia will not be converted. Our Lord revealed to Sister Lucy many times, the Blessed Virgin told us, that Russia is the instrument of chastisement chosen by heaven to punish the whole world understood for its sins. Unless we obtain the conversion of that poor nation. So Russia is an instrument of God's must justice or of God's mercy. If we obtain the conversion of Russia, it becomes the instrument of God's mercy, becoming a powerhouse to convert the rest of the world. If we do not obtain the conversion of Russia, and the only way to obtain that is by the consecration of Russia, then Russia will be an instrument of chastisement for the whole world because of the sins of mankind. And so the choice really is up to us is to enter into the commander-in-chief of the forces of God, she who has been designated from the first book of the Bible to crush the serpent's head, for us to accept her leadership and her plan and to put ourselves at her service in this great design of God to bring peace to the world and to save billions of souls. So in this little sentence, which Our Lady pronounced at Tui in this request, the moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father to make and to command all the Catholic bishops of the world to make the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to save Russia by this means. We have there the whole practical implementation of God's will to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart. This is again confirmed by Our Our Lady speaking to Lucy in May of 1952. 
is the Bishops' Conference of Italy that publicized this event. In their book, uh, Pellegrinaggio della Meraviglia, which was published in 1960, but the event took place in May of 1952, Our Lady told Lucy, Tell the Holy Father, I'm still awaiting the consecration of Russia. Without that consecration, Russia cannot convert. Without that consecration, the world cannot have peace. It's all or nothing. It's the consecration of Russia, or we have the annihilation of nations, and we have the enslavement of the world. It's as simple as that. So why will the consecration of Russia make a difference? God has, God's mercy is greater than any evil we can do. And God in his mercy wants to show us, for some unusual reason, he wants to give this generation a great act of mercy. But he knows he can't give it to us because we might think that we deserve it. We don't deserve it. St. Augustine says, God in his great mercy and great love wants to give us great gifts, but he can't give them to us because we will become proud. We'll think that it's due to our own efforts, our own merits, our own goodness. And this is not true. So God has a dilemma, so to speak. How can he give us these great gifts of world peace and not give us a spelled head thinking that we deserve it? So God, St. Augustine tells us, he has found a way. And that way is through the merits and intercession of the saints. So God gives his special favors only through the intercession and the merits of the saints. And so if we would turn to the saints and ask for their intercession, things that we cannot get by our own prayers and our own merits, God will give because of them. Now St. Alphonsus tells us that it's a great thing for one man or one woman to have merited enough to save his own soul. He says that's a great thing. He says it's an even greater thing for a person to have not only merit enough to save his own soul, but to save the souls of others around him. And that he says the canonized saints have done. But he says it's the greatest thing of all for a human person to be so holy as to have merited enough to save all the souls of all men and women of all time. And that the Blessed Virgin Mary has done. And God wants us to recognize and to know this. God wants us to turn to the Immaculate Heart for her merits and her intercession to save our souls. So God wants to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And that is why he's reserved the grace of world peace, the grace of the conversion of Russia and the conversion of the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And that is why he asks for this specific act of consecration, this specific act of dedicating, of setting aside for the service of the Blessed Virgin, the people in the country of Russia. And when this is done, Our Lady will be able to take care and take control of her possession and use it to evangelize the world. St. Paul was the instrument of, of terror to the first Christians, but he was a chosen vessel. And God had him consecrated as bishop. And after that, he became the greatest of all the apostles. As he says in scriptures himself, that he's converted and did more than the other apostles together. Russia is like St. Paul. It is a chosen vessel to evangelize and convert the world. 
And that will happen once it's consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Because some people say it can't be that simple, it can't be that easy. But it is that simple and it is that easy and nothing else will work. Why is it that God insists upon this? Let us take an example from sacred scripture. When Naaman, the Syrian general who had leprosy, was told that he could be cured if he went to Israel to ask the prophet to be cured, Naaman went to the king of Israel and he asked for a cure. The king, thinking that Naaman was looking for a cause to provoke war, tore his garments and said, Am I God that I can cure leprosy? And the prophet sent message to the court of the king and said, Tell Naaman to come to me and let Israel know that there's a prophet in the land. And so Naaman went to the prophet, but the prophet did not meet him. Instead, he sent a message to Naaman and said, If you want to be cured, go down to the river Jordan and bathe there seven times and you'll be cured. Now Naaman became angry. He said, we have better rivers in Syria than this puny little Jordan. But his advisors, unlike the Pope's advisors, were much smarter. Naaman's counselor said to him, had the prophet asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? He said, of course. He said, well, then why don't you just try this and see what happens? And so Naaman did what his counselors told him. And as the sacred scripture tells us in the fourth book of Kings, chapter 5, on the seventh time, bathing in the river, when he came out, his leprosy was, was gone. And as scripture says, his skin was as smooth as that of a baby. God asks simple things to show, first of all, that it is he who acts. It is not by our efforts. It is not by our merits. It's only by the work of God that this can take place. There are those who hold that the church has no obligation. That is simply a private revelation. And if the Pope wants to ignore it, he perfectly well can do so. And if the bishops want to ignore it, they can also perfectly well do so. And so can all the priests and everybody else if they want to. That is the theory, that is the thesis, that is the understanding of most people today. Unfortunately, it may lead millions of people into hell, that theory. It's a very dangerous theory, and it's completely wrong. And so there is no real reason for not believing these 70,000 witnesses that they really saw this miracle. There's no real reason for not believing the, the approval of the seven popes of the message of Fatima as worthy of belief. There's no real reason for refusing to accept what the children told us. And so as such, we're bound to believe them, just on the natural human level alone. The next thing is, there's also a basis in Scripture. We have various, first of all, passages in Scripture which no one would dispute. And I think the first passage you'll find is in the book of the letter of St. Paul to Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 19, the first, first letter to Thessalonians, which he says, Do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. 
but test all things and hold fast to that which is good. So, the first thing he says is, do not extinguish the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can and does speak to every generation with prophetic messages. St. Thomas Aquinas, the greatest theologian, tells us that every generation receives prophecies from the Holy Spirit. And St. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, tells us, do not extinguish prophecy. Do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. So if we can start off with the assumption that God can send a prophet and give us a message, and we don't have to believe it, we're already going against Scripture. Because that fundamental attitude is despising prophecy. It's extinguishing the Holy Spirit. And we are forbidden to do that in the Bible itself. The question is asked, well, who's more important, Sister Lucy or the Pope? Is the Pope supposed to obey Sister Lucy? Well, Father Joseph Simri answers this question with scripture. He quotes to us from the letter to the Ephesians. The church, we are told, is built upon the apostles and the prophets, with the chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ. Now, when I read that passage, and I've read it many times, years ago, I thought that it meant the prophets of the Old Testament. But Father Joseph argues it's the prophets of the New Testament. Because the church, even when you read the Acts of the Apostles, the church was not only guided by the apostles, but also the prophets. After all, St. Paul himself was consecrated bishop through the voice of prophecy. He's talking about the prophets of the New Testament. Because if you take the apostles and the prophets side by side, and you put the cornerstone underneath them, then you understand from the context he's talking about the prophets of the New Testament. The prophets of the Old Testament precede Christ. But the church is built upon the foundation of Christ, then the apostles and the prophets. And so, what is the relationship between the prophet of the New Testament that goes on beyond, just as the apostles go on beyond the death of the last apostle, so the prophets also go beyond the death of the last apostle. What is the relationship between the prophet of the New Testament and the bishop of the New Testament? And the answer is, it's up to the apostle to judge whether or not the prophet and his message is authentic. But when the message has been judged authentic, then it's bound, the prophet, the apostle is bound to obey it. Not as obeying the prophet, but as obeying God, who is using the prophet to give the message. That is the relationship, and that is what has not been understood, even by many theologians. Unfortunately, that ignorance of scripture, that ignorance of real traditional theology on the role of prophecy in the church, is what is crippling Many bishops, and even people ask me, why won't the Pope obey? Because he has counselors telling him that say, well, you don't have to obey. It's only a private revelation. And so he believes them. We are on the edge of a complete change in the course of history. Once Our Lady's requests are heard and obeyed. But there are consequences for not obeying. There are terrible consequences for not obeying. And just as the message of Fatima touches each one of us, our collective refusal to do what it takes to get the consecration of Russia done also has a price. 
We are told that if our, our lady said, if my requests are granted, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If my requests are not granted, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, raising up wars and persecutions against the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. Let's just look at the timetable that God has given us. In 1931, Lucy was in Rianjo, a small village, a small city, I should say, in northern Spain. She went there to rest. It was August. She went to pray in the church of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and there she was praying for the conversion of Spain and Portugal and Europe. And the Lord spoke to her and said, You please me very much by praying for the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, and Europe. Ask it also of my mother. He then dictated to her two prayers to say, to say often, Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. At other times, he said to say this prayer, By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. Then our Lord spoke about the Pope and the bishops, and quite possibly about the priests. He said, Make it known to my ministers, given they follow the example of the King of France, in delaying the execution of my command, like him, like the King of France, they will follow him into misfortune. What is this reference to the king of France? The command, of course, he's talking about is a command to consecrate Russia. The king of France, on the 17th of June, 1689, was given a command by the Sacred Heart of Jesus to have France consecrated to the Sacred Heart, to have the court have a special ceremony, to put the emblem of the Sacred Heart on the flag of France. And the king did not obey. There was the great Louis the Fourteenth, known as the Sun King. He had all the pomp and so forth, but his monarchy fizzled into nothing very much by the end of his reign. His succeeding pope, succeeding bishop, or king rather, did not obey either. And then the third one also until the 17th of June, 1789, 100 years later to the day. On that day, the Third Estate declared itself the National Assembly and excluded the king from making or having anything to do with legislation. The king was stripped of his power 100 years later to the day. And four years later, his head was cut off in the guillotine. And our Lord is saying, like the king of France, Make it known to my ministers, they will follow him into disgrace. The king of France was executed as a criminal. Not that he was a criminal, but that he was executed as if he were a criminal. And that's what we see in that vision that the Vatican released to us in June 2000. We see the Pope being executed, not just being killed, but being executed by a band of soldiers, by a firing squad. This is what awaits the Pope and the bishops 
but not just them, priests as well, and religious and lay people. We're all in this together. But it's all because we do not do the consecration of Russia in time. St. Avances tells us that with God everything is measured. He bases himself on a passage in Wisdom, Book of Wisdom. Almost things are measured by the eyedropper. We see that in the case of the King of France. 100 years to the day. And it's our Lord himself who draws our attention to that fact. When he says to Lucy, make it known to my ministers like the King of France. He is saying, he didn't say it precisely, but it seems he's saying to us, like the King of France had a hundred years, so the Pope has a hundred years. But it is a command of God for the consecration of Russia. When our Lord came in 1931 to Sister Lucy, it was two years and two months after the request, the formal request before the Most Blessed Trinity, commanding the consecration of Russia, commanding that the Pope command the bishops to consecrate Russia. Two years and two months later, he expresses his unhappiness. He gave them two years and two months, as from June of 1929 to June of to August of 31. Make it known to my ministers, given they follow the example of the King of France, in delaying the execution of my command, like him they will follow into misfortune. Our Lord says that the king of France was punished. He was beheaded. He was killed as a criminal. Why? For one reason. Because he did not obey in time to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart. Now, there may be those who say, well, that's too bad. He didn't know he had to obey, but he did have to obey. He was given a message to a saint. She wasn't canonized then, St. Margaret Mary. She certainly had a reputation in her lifetime as a saint. There was nothing contrary to the faith or morals in the message. Nothing contrary to right reason for that matter. And although they could see that France, according to them, was in its glory days, that Leo was rather Louis the Fourteenth was the most powerful and shall we say the most glorious of the French kings in his power, and yet all those appearances were not real. And a hundred years later, as we know, the French king was stripped of his power by the Masonic infiltration of his country and the lodges bringing about their taking away the king's right to rule, to make legislation, and causing the French Revolution. I think that historians would agree today it was all the work of masonry. It is interesting that our Lord makes that same reference that what happened to the kings of France by the same enemies will happen to the Pope and the bishops. Today, of course, they don't see it. But these signs are there if you're willing to look at them. But my point here is that our Lord himself says that they will be punished that they will follow the king of France into misfortune for one reason, for not obeying this command. Obviously, he thinks that they're obliged to obey. Otherwise, it would be wrong for him to punish them for something they're not obliged to do. And when I say them, I think we're all included because at some point, we either haven't prayed enough or sacrificed enough or told our friends and neighbors or done what we could to make it understood. And if that's true for us, it's much more true for many others who falsify the message, who who 
claim to be devoted to Our Lady of Fatima, knowing full well they're deceiving the people. Now, there are a number of theories who tell us we don't have to listen to Our Lady or Our Lord at Fatima. Unfortunately, these theories are very dangerous. What is the modernist theory? You have people who are modernists who don't even know it. You have Father Fox, for example, Father Robert Fox, God rest his soul. He died November 25th last year. Father Fox held that the consecration of Russia was done. But on the same tape we have him saying, but the world will always have war. So now why do I call him modernist? Well, it's very simple, because on the one hand, he says the consecration of Russia is done. On the next hand, he's saying, we'll always have war. One of his father Gobi said to me years ago, his father Fox calling the Blessed Virgin a liar. Well, apparently so. Because Our Lady said, a period of peace will be given to mankind when Russia is consecrated. Father Fox says it's consecrated, but we won't have a period of peace. The modernist solution is obviously not a correct solution. It's not a correct solution for anything, much less for the message of Fatima. Yet modernism, as a tool, as an instrument, as a means, has been used against Fatima time and time again. And it's partly deceiving because there are, these people claim that they believe, that they're devoted to Our Lady of Fatima, that they believe Our Lady of Fatima, that they want to promote her message. Similarly, the Blue Army, for example, uh, is also modernist in the same way. Now, their point of view is we must make, have good uh, rapport with the bishops. We want to have our all-night vigils, and we want to have our processions with the statue. So we cannot turn off our local bishop, or for that matter, the Vatican. So if the Vatican tells us the consecration is done, the consecration is done. No further discussion. Well, what about the facts? Don't bother me with the facts. And even the leader of the Blue Army today will say, yes, I know that the world today is in danger of annihilation of nations. They will admit that in a private conversation. But they cannot lose their good stature by coming to such a conference. Because, after all, they have pontifical recognition. I have not sought, I'm not against it, but I have not sought pontifical recognition. Unfortunately, the truth is superior. There's a hierarchy of values, and we must hold on to that hierarchy of values, especially when it comes to Fatima. And the highest value is certainly charity, but charity without truth is not charity. We must hold on to the truth. So the modernists anyway, and the conservatives who hold on to being being able to have their legitimacy, or their apparent legitimacy, will rather deny the truth. Now, after five years after the consecration of, of, of the world in 1984, one could say, well, maybe the conversion is going to come tomorrow. Maybe it's going to come tomorrow. It is now, as Chris pointed out, 26 years and a couple of months since the consecration of the world, that was supposedly definitive. If you want to deny the facts that you know before your eyes, of course you're free to do that. But I doubt it that you're going to do this without fault, without guilt. We cannot deny the truth. Our first obligation is to the truth.
As St. Thomas tells us very simply, against a fact there is no argument. That's St. Thomas, but it's axiomatic. A fact is a fact. There's a microphone here. I can touch it, I can hear it, I can see it. Now you can deny that it's there, you can argue with me that it's not here, but all your argumentation, all your denial will not change the fact that it's here. Not even if the Supreme Court says it's not here, not even if the Pope pronounces it's not here, it doesn't change it. The argument from authority does not change the fact. The facts that we have that Russia is not converted are before our eyes. They're published even by our enemies in the press. The Blessed Virgin's message is a solution to the crisis that we find ourselves in. That is, when the First World War was going on, and Pope Benedict XV recognized that there was no way out, he had tried every way possible, and he realized, after three years of diplomatic attempts, that there was no way to stop the war. That is why he appealed to Our Lady, and he appealed to her publicly. He almost demanded her to solve the problem. And that was on the 5th of May, 1917. And she came back and said, she, she came back and, on May 13th, eight days later. And she, over the next six months, explained the way, in fact, the only way to world peace. On July 13th, she said, only Our Lady of the Rosary can help you. Only Our Lady of the Rosary can help you. And October 13th, she said, I am the Lady of the Rosary. In other words, on July 13th, she was saying, only I can help you. Although the popes at that time asked for her help, she then gave a command to the pope to what to do to bring about world peace. And because his counselors from 1929 to the present think they know better than the Blessed Virgin, they're so convinced of it that they dare not even talk to people like me who have yet to be bested in an argument on this subject. Because they're so confident. But what have we got? We had World War I to make the world safe for democracy. Or that was maybe World War II. World War I was the war to end all wars. And from there we go on to Korea, to Vietnam, to uh, Afghanistan, to Iran and so forth. We now have a general in the United States military, the highest ranking general. He was the chief of staffs, General Petraeus, who says quite candidly in his book, or rather in the book Obama's Wars, you can find it on page 330 and 331. I have a copy of it here if you want to read it, in which he claims that we will not win this war, that we will go on in this war for another 50 years. In his own terminology, that this war will go on for the rest of our lives and the rest of our kids' lives, of our children's lives. They have no solution. There is no other solution offered anywhere. And yet we have people with the courage to say, we're not bound to even try Our Lady. We have millions of people dead, not counting the billion souls that have been killed by abortion in the last 20 years. And we still have people saying, we're not even bound to try? 
I find this boggles the mind that it costs them nothing to try. It costs no money. It costs no time. It's a five minute prayer. It's very simple to do. And they won't even try it. Can this possibly be without moral obligation? I find that impossible to believe. Our Lord says they will follow the King of France into misfortune for refusing to obey. I don't think that's, that's severe compared to the price we're paying for refusing to even try it. And if you know, as I believe some people do, as I believe Benedict knows when he says, he deceives himself who thinks that the prophetic mission of Fatima is concluded. He can see from the text they haven't given us. He can see from what's, he can see from the looking over the, 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 uh, landscape of the world. He can see what's coming. He says it's terrifying. And he knows it's true. He is no longer eluded. But there are people in the church who are. He says they are deceiving themselves. Those who know it and refuse to believe it, deceive themselves. To deceive yourself is, in a serious matter, a moral sin. We must love the truth. And that's what John Pope Benedict said last year before 500,000 people. He deceives himself. He didn't say he's mistaken. No. He deceives himself. It's that clear. And so we have the obligation to believe what we know to be the truth. Whether it's by virtue of the faith as defined, as defined, or what's in the Bible as we know to be true, or what we, what, or what we have simply on the good word of somebody else who's a reliable witness. We're still bound to believe the truth. We're still bound to seek the truth. And we're still bound to defend the truth. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it costs something in our personal social relations or in our salary or in, or, or people respecting us, we still must defend the truth and stand by the truth. And when it comes then to establish that the message of Fatima is true, it also comes that we're bound to obey it. And we're bound to obey it as a basis of a serious obligation. And this is what has been, I think Isaiah talks about these false prophets who sow cushions under the elbows of people with duties to do. That they're the sowers of cushions, make life easy for them. Oh, that's okay, Holy Father, you don't have to do it, you're not obliged. These are the people, the painters of lies, who cause it so that we all suffer while they have a cushy position. But let's take away a few of the errors about the consecration of Russia. It is not against the Russian people. It is not saying the Russians are worse than we are. That's not the point of it. Our Lady has chosen Russia for her own inscrutable reasons. But she's certainly chosen Russia out of love for Russia. It's not because she's picking on them or because she's blaming them any more than the rest of us. It's because Russia has been chosen as an instrument, either of chastisement or of mercy. 
Although none of us are Pope, most of us here are not bishops, but all of us have some influence. And we should use that influence to the extent we can to bring about that the Pope and the bishops consecrate Russia, whereby Russia will be converted and Russia's conversion to the Catholic faith will be the instrument whereby the whole world is converted to the Catholic faith. It's not for nothing that Our Lady gave her great sign in 1938 that the Second World War was about to start on January 25th, the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Now St. Paul was the greatest persecutor of the Catholic Church up to that time. And yet God converted him and made him the greatest apostle of all the apostles of all time. God will do the same for Russia. Russia, collectively, under their atheistic masters, or more example, more exactly satanic masters, have used the power of Russia to persecute and kill millions and tens of millions of believers, especially Catholics. And God will use that country that has been instrumentalized by the devil to convert the world. So it's own conversion first, and then it's evangelization of the world. But just think that people who have suffered under diabolical regimes for so long, being liberated by the truth of the gospel, wanting to and willing to and will do the, the, the evangelization of the world. And that's what will happen with the consecration of Russia. The obligation to believe and to obey is based both on reason, on sacred scripture, and on the fact that Fatima, fact, it's not an established fact, you don't have to believe it, that Fatima is of such magnitude. It is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy when you see that we've had 14,400 wars in 6,000 wars, years of history, recorded history. And yet Our Lady Fatima promises to stop that. The only place that's as predicted besides Fatima is in sacred scripture. When we are told that they'll learn the art of war no more. That has not happened from the time that Isaiah and Micaiah made these prophecies to the present day. Our Lady says that time is now. The significance of Fatima is a milestone in human history beyond anything. It's much more important than the Council or World War II or anything else other than the life of Christ himself. It is a milestone in the history of mankind. And this generation has not recognized it. And we will pay the price for it, not just the Pope and the bishops. But it's up to each of us to do our part, to make it known, to make it understood. And to live, and even though it looks like a little small thing by praying your five decades of the rosary or wearing the scapular, our lady held up the scapular for all of us to wear the scapular, even though these things look very small, these things are very great in God's eyes. And doing what we can and what we, what God gives us out of hand, that is all he asks us to do. But he also asks us to understand these things and be able to explain them to others who have more importance. As St. Augustine said, being a Christian, I rejoice with you. Being a bishop, I tremble. The responsibility I have is much greater. And he very much appreciates the help that he would get from priests or lay people helping him to fulfill his job. I'm sure all good bishops would feel the same way. 
war has been glorified, but really, when you get close to it, it's very messy. It's very painful. And most of them, if not all of them today, are all unjustified and wrong. And all of these will be stopped. Not because we deserve it, but because God wants to give us His grace. If we don't deserve it, this generation, this age, is perhaps the worst of all ages. Perhaps the worst. I don't can't know for sure. But certainly we've not had another generation of mankind in which we've killed, murdered some several hundred million people. Not only by abortion, which numbers in the several hundreds of millions, also by government decree, also by war. There has never been a bloodier age than the time we're living in today, starting at the time of the First World War to the present day. And this war and these chastisements are a punishment for sin. And we deserve these chastisements, but God nevertheless wants to give us, unmerited by ourselves, this great gift of world peace, where no one is killed by war, no one even threatens war, no one even learns how to conduct war. They will learn the art of war no more. We have never seen that age that that the um, prophets of the Old Testament, the promise of God, the prophets, Our Lady herself promises in our age, in our time. But it's on one condition. That we have to recognize that it's not by our merits. We have to recognize it's not because we deserve it. We have to recognize it's not because of anything we did or were. But it's entirely and entirely and only due to the merits of the Blessed Virgin. In 1942, excuse me, 1940, Sister Lucy was told by her confessor, Bishop, I've forgotten his name, of Tui, became Bishop of Tui eventually, he was an Archbishop, and he told her under holy obedience to ask the Pope to consecrate the world. Lucy was very, this was October 23rd or 24th, 1940. She was very concerned because she knew it was not the message of Fatima. And so she went before the Blessed Sacrament and asked her Lord what she should do. The confessor was not a bad man. He was just frustrated after 11 years of waiting in the the Vatican stonewalling them for all this time. He said, well, let's get something done. So he, he mixed his apparitions with another apparition of Alexandrina who had asked, she had a message for consecration of the world. Our Lord spoke to Lucy and said, for that consecration, to the consecration of the world, I will shorten the days of the present distress. But peace is not for this consecration. In other words, I will shorten the days of the Second World War for consecrating the world. But I will not give peace for that act. And so in 1942, Pope Pius XII on October 31st, consecrated the world. He repeated it again by radio message to the, to the Portuguese people and repeated it again on December the 8th in Rome on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Our Lord spoke to Lucy on Ash Wednesday, 1943. 
and Lord expressed his approval of what was done and said he would shorten the days of the Second World War. He referred to it as the present distress. But that peace would not be given for this act. And we've seen from the last, from the end of the Second World War, we have not had peace in the world to this day. Now maybe we've had peace in this country at this time, but the world does not have peace, has not and cannot and will not have peace, except for the act of obedience to for the consecration of Russia. But the only argument that's ever used is, well, Pope John Paul II did it right in 1984 on March 25th. And yes, there was a ceremony on March 25th, 1984, in St. Peter's Square. 1984, that's 94, 2004, 2014, were 28 years from that event. Now the purpose of this consecration is to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart so that the whole church will realize that it's through this consecration of Russia that this conversion of Russia and world peace has arrived. How is anyone going to make a connection between an event that took place on the 25th of March, 1984, and world peace and war that we still don't have? We have the war and we don't have world peace, and we still have the threat of annihilation even of this country. In fact, John, Pope John Paul II, when he consecrated the world, in 1984, March 25th, changed the prayer. You may not be aware of this, but he published the prayer he was going to say to all the bishops of the world. He sent it out to them on December the 8th, 1983. And on February 17th, if I have the right date, in the Observatory Romano, that letter they sent to the bishops was published for the world to read. Now that letter that he sent to the bishops that he was going to say, he changed. He added something to his prayer. And what was that? After consecrating the world, a few paragraphs later he says to Our Lady, remember he's kneeling before the statue of Our Lady of Fatima, and he says to Our Lady, enlighten especially those peoples who you yourself are awaiting our consecration. He said that publicly. It's a matter of public record. If that's not enough for you in the afternoon, that's four hours later, at four o'clock inside St. Peter's, again before the statue of Our Lady. Our Lady, he then again says, acknowledges that what he did was not, Our Lady is still awaiting the consecration of a country, of a people. But Our Lady of Fatima has only asked for one country to be consecrated, and that is Russia. He's clearly acknowledging to the world, I know I didn't do it. He also is saying, I did all I could with my poor human limited powers. He says that publicly for the world to see. Now, despite saying this publicly, privately, anyone will listen, what is the answer? The answer is zero. No answer. Nothing. Ignore the question. It is not responsible for us to pretend something we know not to be true. Is it easier? Is it more comfortable? I can tell you, certainly. I've had an Archbishop in Canada promise to take care of all my expenses if I just say certain things. It's a lot easier, let me tell you. It's a lot of work what we do. But the truth comes first. How can we expect that in a nation that kills over one million of its own citizens, innocent citizens, one million babies every year. Not to say this is the only country that does these things, but it doesn't matter whether 
we're not as bad as country X or country Y. The fact is, we're bad when we don't live by God's standards. So, there are four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. And one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. So when one million babies every year since 1973, and the numbers might vary a little bit, but if you take that, you're looking at some 40 years, at a million a year, you're looking at 40 million babies being slaughtered by the taxpayers and protected by the law enforcement agencies and sanctioned by the Congress of the country. And although there certainly has been some heroic protest, taking the country as a nation, it hasn't obviously been enough. So how can that country expect to stand when God says this is an abomination in his eyes? There still is the one solution, which is Our Lady of Fatima, that despite our lacking the merit for this, that she would give us this peace that we don't deserve, if only we would see to it that the consecration of Russia was done. If we can put a man on the moon, if we can have the will to do a lot of other things, why is it that we have not had the will to make the consecration of Russia done? And yes, you're not the Pope. But yes, let me tell you, the Pope listens when the people speak. How do I know that? Well, last year, for the first time, on Good Friday, well, I guess a Good Friday, April 22nd, the Pope had a press conference on television. The first time ever, a press conference on television, the first time ever on Good Friday. And what did he say? He said, you know, having consecrations, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's not a direct quote, he's much more elegant in his speech than I am here. Having consecrations is a good thing. But personally, we had some already, and what we need to do is live them. I'm not going to do any more in the foreseeable future. But I could change my mind. That was April 22nd. On May the 3rd, he reversed himself completely and announced he was going to consecrate Italy to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now what happened in those 10 days? First of all, we had a poster, a big poster, 26 feet by 13 feet in Rome. Seen by 500,000 people every week. The first week it went up was April 15th. That drew the Pope's statement that he would not do it. Ten days later, another 800,000 people passing in front of it changed his mind. They obviously picked up the phone and called the Pope because the poster said, only the Pope can save Rome by a five-minute prayer, by a special five-minute prayer. Only the Pope. And it was true, and it's still true. Only by that five-minute prayer of the Constitution of Russia will Rome be saved, as was the same for this country, as is the same for the whole world. The Pope listened. Why? Because the people spoke up. So if you think you don't have a voice, don't believe it. In this age, he's got an email. 
He's got all sorts of communications. You can talk to your parish priest, you can talk to your bishop, you can talk to your cardinal, you can talk to the Pope, you can talk to the papal nuncio. And let me tell you, there's a parable in the scriptures which tells us something like this. Our Lord gives the example of the unjust judge. And at midnight, every night, comes this woman asking for justice. And this judge says, I fear neither God nor man. But this woman is going to wear me out. I'm going to give her her justice so she can let me have a good sleep. We need to be insistent. There's many things we can do. And just as those 800,000 Romans, not all of them acted, but some of them must have, because the Pope publicly reversed himself within 10 days. Now he didn't say it was that poster and that television station that just started up in Rome that made me change my mind. But what else was there? And he did follow through, by the way. He consecrated Italy on, on May 26th, as he said he would. So if he can do it for Italy, he can do it for Russia. And all the bishops of Italy joined him. It wasn't such a big deal after all, was it? It was not hard to get their cooperation. They were there publicly in St. Mary Majors with the Pope during the consecration. How hard was it? Did the Italian secularist take offense to it? I have not heard of it to this day. You need to use your, your, your intelligence. You need to realize that Fatima is at the core of the fight. John spoke about problems, the attack on the church. I've had people here talk to me about whether we should choose candidate A or candidate B, and that both candidates are working for the same, um, with a different kind of agenda, but basically their their intention is to have the same new world order, one world government, one world religion imposed upon everybody. And yes, there are only two plans that we are for, we are we are given that we have the option for for how the world is going to be organized. Is it's either going to be Jesus Christ, the king of society, or it's going to be the devil and the Antichrist. And there's no third alternative. As Lucy has told us, we have to choose sides. We have to be either for God or against God. There's no sitting on the fence. If you sit on the fence, you've already chosen the wrong side. That's why Fatima is so important, because it is God's definitive solution to this choice, this crossroads that all mankind is facing. And there's no other alternative. So, what can we do? We can do very simple things. First of all, it's in the power of every one of us. We can pray the rosary for the Pope to do the consecration. We can pay, pray the rosary for the to stop abortion in this country. At least be a benefit to not have a curse hanging over us because we didn't do anything. We at least have to stand up for something. And if we can't do anything else, we can at least pray to stop this scourge which is calling down a curse on all of us. We can pass the word on. We can discuss it with others. Is it an accident that you've not heard about Fatima in these terms in the last 50 years? No, it's by design. It's by design that Fatima is not talked about. The devil's a liar and the first way to stop the truth and the devil knows that when the consecration of Russia is done, his empire is over. It's completely over. And so he has to do whatever it takes to stop it. The first defense for him is to bury the Fatima message, even about the three children, even about the promise of world peace. 
But then when people get to know something about Fatima, then they have to start up organizations and liars who would say, oh, but it doesn't mean this, but it means that, and don't listen to this person. Go and check it out for yourself. Don't take a word I say. Just check it out for yourself. But don't go away and say, well, I don't believe him, but I'm not going to check it out for myself. Then you yourself are responsible for your own ignorance. And your ignorance will not deliver you from the wrath to come. And it's as simple as that. What we need to do ourselves is to pray more for the Holy Father. Our Lord Himself, when He spoke about this uh, in Rianjo, when He spoke of what would happen, and that the Pope would follow the kings of, uh, the, into disgrace, I don't know whether Lucy asked Him, but our Lord, His last remarks to her was, it is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. It's never too late for us to pray. It's never too late to ask Our Lady and Our Lord to intervene. Lucy has told us that there's no problem in the world, either national or international, either physical or moral, that cannot be solved by the rosary. There's no problem. Even the problem of the Pope and the bishops not doing the consecration, even that problem can be resolved. We just have to pray and as Padre Pio says, get others to pray the rosary. We do know that it will happen. But will it happen? The question before us is, will we do what we can and what we must to bring about the consecration of Russia before the annihilation of nations, before the installment of the enemies of God over all nations, ruling us as we, as if we were their slaves, ruling us in a way that would be most painful for us, in the message of Akita, we're told that the living will envy the dead. After this chastisement of annihilation of nations, the living will envy the dead. Why is that? Because living conditions will be worse than you can imagine possible under the reign of people working for the devil who have prepared this for us. And it will happen that way unless we bring about the consecration of Russia in time. Let us then realize that involves all of us. And just as those simple people telling their friends and neighbors about the appearances at Our Lady of Fatima, each of us, in whatever walk of life, have this role to play, to tell our friends and neighbors and to live the message ourselves. Who will win? Who's going to win? In this war to come, no one's going to win. Because various nations will be annihilated. I'm not for the East, I'm not for the West, I'm not for the North or the South. I'm for humanity. Mankind together needs to hear the message of Fatima. Mankind together needs to know that there's only one solution. And of course, as St. Thomas again points out, mankind acts for one final end. We do many things. We eat, we drink, we sing, we talk. We do all these things. We have an immediate motive for why we do these things. But in all these things, we have one final motive for doing them, which is to either serve God or serve the devil. Most people see serving the devil as serving themselves. But everything has a final purpose. And of course, the devil said to Christ that he could give him the power to rule the world if you will just bow down before me. Our Lord never denied the devil could deliver that. The devil is delivering that to the Antichrist or the Antichrists of our time. And we who see ourselves squeezed more and more into 
conforming or go to jail or be executed. Brothers, you cannot speak against homosexuality, even though it's in the Bible, even though it's, a, it's unnatural. You cannot speak against it in so-called free country like Canada. Doctors in the United States are being told that they cannot refuse to do abortions unless they get out of the profession. Now, I know that they're fighting this at different levels and maybe they, it's a tug of war back and forth. I haven't kept up with the daily account of it. But this is said openly that this is their plan. And no one's horrified. No one seems to be horrified that they're calling for the murder of six billion people. What kind of mind has that? But there it is. And it's said in our time about us. We're all the targets of that. Do we have a necessity for the consecration of Russia? I think the case is so overwhelming and and so self-evident that I don't understand why anyone, of whatever stripe or color of theology, of whatever organization or affiliation you have, or whatever country you come from, it doesn't matter. Only Our Lady of Fatima can help us. There is no other way around it. The sooner we get that through our thick heads, the sooner we walk away with our prejudices and our pre-understanding of things and just say, if the Blessed Virgin tells us this, we should believe it. But today, if you do the research, you don't need her to tell us that because it's so self-evident when you look at the facts. Yes, we can try some other harebrained idea, some other scheme, some other way to do it other than Our Lady, and we can waste another 2 to 10 to 20 or 50 years. But time is limited. The time that we have been given to implement this plan is limited. I am not preaching rebellion. I'm not preaching uh, dissent against legitimate authority, anything but. The, new, the law of the church, for example, still commands communion on the tongue. But yet most people think that I'm being disobedient because I will not give communion in the hand. But the fact is, it's the others who are being disobedient for not obeying the law. But that is the whole perspective that's turned around that people have got the whole thing upside down. It's the same way with the obedience to the message of Fatima. God gives a command. It's my duty to uphold the command. And it's what is everyone else's duty. But I can't command you. I don't, I'm not your superior. But neither can I be commanded to tell lies. No one can tell me to do that. God wouldn't tell me to do that. And no priest or bishop or cardinal or pope has the right to tell me to do that. And yet some people do tell lies thinking they're doing the work of God because they would rather uphold the fiction that consecration of Russia has done or the fiction that the whole secret is released even though they know better. Each of us has an obligation before God to tell the truth and defend the truth. As Pope St. Felix III said, to not confound liars or, or evil men when you can is to, is to encourage them. And we've argued that quite at length in our writings. I don't know, I can't cover everything, but very simply, do we have a necessity for the consecration of Russia? Every one of us, every man, woman and child has that necessity. And mark my words, I wish I were wrong, but it won't be long. Then you get a great sense of also where we are 
in history, not just our history of the last hundred years, not just in this part of the world or that part of the world, but the whole history of salvation, the whole history of the human race. And we are at that moment today, at that moment about which we will see a change in the course of history. The 20th century and 21st century that we have known will never be repeated. And the ages of the past that we can characterize, the agricultural age and other ages, the, even if you do in economic history, the Stone Age and the, and the Metal Age and so forth, all of these are all going to change in a way that historians looking even from 100 years from now will see that the world and mankind and its history is so different. And it's all because of her. Because in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph. In the end, people will finally pay attention. In the end, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia with all the bishops. And we will see those who survive. We will see the great miracle of grace that God has prepared for all eternity in order to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart. The Pope must obey. He has a solemn obligation. He is bound solemnly before God. It's a serious matter to do the consecration. This is not to judge the Pope, but this is simply to say what the objective moral order is. That's why we must pray for him. He has a heavy responsibility, as do the bishops. And let us pray for them. But at the same time, let us have clear ideas and clear understanding. As St. Thomas tells us, the first fruit of error is injustice. If we promote lies about Fatima in order to appear to be or have some false notion of loyalty, we're not helping the Pope, we're not helping the Church, we're not helping the bishops, we're only sending them to their death sentences. We must tell the truth clearly and simply and explain it so that people know that there's one way out and only one way out and that is the consecration of Russia. God bless you.